When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow is underway on this Friday edition. Glad you're with us. If you're streaming us live on YouTube through the YouTube page, search out OutKick, subscribe to the channel. Chad is in the chat. Glad you're there listening to this great radio partner as well or throughout the OutKick network of ways to consume the show. Chad, we got a Sharpie to get away from yeah, you. Thank there you, man. You go. We got you know a, a jam-packed show today uh, with Ben Lieber. Minnesota Vikings radio and a TV analyst. He will join us coming up in 20 minutes. Much to discuss for one of the teams who could be sellers at the NFL's trade deadline later this month. Michael Fabiano, well, he's going to buy or sell some of the players to start or sit later uh, this weekend across your fantasy football rosters. The very best from Sports Illustrated uh, coming up later this hour as well. Michael McHenry, Major League Baseball analyst for us. He jumps into the mix and in studio coming up in hour number two. Kelly in Vegas and Chad Withrow's top 10 games of the college football weekend also on tap today. Chad, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Hunt. Big show today. Excited, ready to go. We're well into the weekend now. As on this show, weekends start on Thursday. A little bit bitter about my Braves' performance where they just forgot how to but hit. What happened? They forgot how to hit. I, I, don't, I don't know how to explain it. They Except for played, Austin Riley. Yeah, they played one way all season, and they were doing uncharacteristic things. They were swinging for the fences on sliders. And not trying yeah. to take it the other way. It was just a very, very uncharacteristic performance uh, by the Braves. And uh, not happy about it. Our friend uh, Ariel Epstein uh, posted this, and I agree. She said, you expect me to believe the four NL MVP candidates, Acuna, Olsen, Freeman, and Betts, go a combined six for 43. That's 139 with zero home runs. And the week off has nothing to do with it. Get out of here. Something's got to change. And she goes on to say, hey, congrats to the Astros. That's 25% of the teams that got the buy that advanced. Um, I, I don't know what the deal is. I, I can't sit and put it all on that. But I don't know how a team that hits at a historic level all year goes into a series. And credit the Phillies, they pitched really well. And the Braves knew with Zach Wheeler, they never hit him. Right. And that's the one game they end up winning. But that you knew that was going to be a, a possibility. But disappointing for the Braves and uh, you know we'll just go ahead and say it with these two groups right now the Phillies are more clutch in October sometimes it comes down to being as simple as that they were the more clutch team well uh, it, whenever they're facing each other yeah right if the, Bra the Braves are facing any other clubhouse and I think that's what you're saying they're, they're winning the series the bats are going to work like they're the Astros of the NL it's, yeah, the, it's the a bats bad are going to work it's a bad matchup and now there's some mental mojo going into it, if there's any future. First off, I think it's become the best rivalry in, in baseball between the two teams. But if there are future Octobers where they meet up, there is now mental baggage for these Braves. I'm not talking about the Braves, the 90s, that couldn't win the World Series until they finally did. You're saying the young group that's These Braves that won the World Series two years ago, there is mental baggage against these Phillies. That's a problem if they meet up again. Braves, but they're going to keep going to the playoffs, I believe. Braves better pray they avoid the Philadelphia Phillies 
if they want to advance the playoffs because they cannot play against them for whatever reason. Jed, uh, Deshaun Watson, speaking of baggage, got the bag. And now there may be baggage in the locker room. Uh, he's not going to play. He's already been ruled out due to the shoulder issue uh, with uh, the, the throwing shoulder. Stefanski ruled him out officially. He's not going to play against San Francisco. And I, I, I bring this up because Stefanski, going back through the week, elevates P.J. Walker as the starter way early in the week. Not as the starter over Watson, but named him the backup to Deshaun Watson uh, going into this Sunday's game instead of the rookie and Dorian Thompson-Robinson. This is a, a two- to four-week injury saga, and we went through part, part of all of this with Armando Salguero yesterday with Outkick.com. This began the, the week after a great performance by Watson against the Titans. They dominated Tennessee in week three. And then he told reporters the following week before the game against the Ravens that he was going to play even though he was on the injury report. And the Browns expected him to play. Medically, they cleared him. And then he made the pregame warm-up decision that his throwing shoulder wasn't ready to go, that he wasn't going to be able to help the team. In fact, he was going to hurt the team if he played. I think that surprised everyone. So much so that Stefanski admitted postgame that it was Watson's decision not to play, not the Browns' staff. And that tells us that they felt that he should have played by the initial reaction being that, that it was Watson's call, not the team's. And the locker room had to be just as surprised. Some players even admitted that. Like, hey, we thought he was going to play. We didn't know until the last minute. Well, now he's been on the injury report. Shoulder contusion. And this is coming off of a bye week for the Browns. They're hosting the Niners, and the Browns had to feel like, with Deshaun Watson, they could pull the upset. Without him, Chad, it's going to be bad. And I expect the situation to involve more than just a bruised shoulder when it's all said and done. Because while it may be easy to smooth over and allow things to just be surface level and vague uh, with what we know about what all this entails, as this continues, so will the chatter. And a two to four week injury is now going into the third week. And we still don't know all that much when it started as, well, it's just a pain tolerance issue and he knows his body better than we do. And he said he didn't want to go even though he was cleared to play, to where he's been on the injury report and not practicing. And if he does do anything, he's in a, a practice bubble or inside the facility doing things on his own, trying to get back to the field. It's a bigger issue with this spot than others because it's Watson, because we know that he listens to the chatter and the noise and he doesn't handle it well. And he's the franchise guy that got the fully guaranteed $230 million contract and the Browns have to... Do as he says. And in this case, he's not doing on the field. He's simply rehabbing. And Stefanski goes with P.J. Walker, the vet, because I think he's trying to keep the locker room locked in. If they go back with Dorian Thompson-Robinson, who didn't know if he was going to even make the roster when he was signed to the Browns early prior to training camp, they're going back with uh, the, the veteran to try to keep the train on the tracks, at least for one more week. But I think the chatter continues. Perception can be reality at times. And I think everything you just laid out is, is well said with, with Deshaun Watson. What I'll say about Deshaun Watson, and this is not a compliment at all to him, um, he has very sensitive ears. And some guys are comfortable playing the villain and not being liked at all times. That is very clearly not Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson 
was a victim for years and years of reading his own clippings. And those clippings were nothing but positive about things he overcame, about what he was able to accomplish at Clemson, what he was able to do early in his career. We have John McClain on this show, and he talks about all the glowing columns he wrote at the Houston Chronicle and other places about Texans legend quarterback Deshaun Watson. It was all positive for so long. And then there were many, many accusations from massage parlors about Deshaun Watson and his activities. And everything turned at that point. He went from hero to villain. He set out two years. And it's not just about trying to overcome that, whatever his bad actions were. It's about him being sensitive to people not liking him. Aaron Rodgers can thrive in that environment. Aaron Rodgers can talk about not being vaccinated or calling it something different and people hating him, and he uses that criticism to play better and to beat you at times. I don't think Deshaun Watson is that guy. And now the perception is this reality. The perception is that he's soft. Whether he likes it or not, whether his teammates believe it or not, the perception is because Kevin Stefanski hasn't squashed it is that he can play, he's been medically cleared, and he's not. And he's the only fully guaranteed quarterback making that money fully guaranteed right now. So I don't know how he's going to deal with that perception. I don't think he's going to overcome it that well. I don't think he's the type that's going to take that and use it as fuel to do big things. I just don't with Deshaun Watson. I don't see it. Well, and it's, you know my saying. It's not if you lose, it's how you lose. The Browns are going now into a stretch where they'll be losing without Watson. And this all started by him making the decision not to play on his own, not with the medical staff's uh, full opinion, uh, saying it was better off not to play than to play for further injury. Again, we're just getting started with this. Because if he plays, and he plays through the pain, that garners respect. And by the way, he was voted team captain by the locker room. So there's that. But there's also the captains on the sideline while P.J. Walker's being elevated after being there for a month from the practice squad to make the start with the rookie who's on the active roster backing him up. Chad, uh, you mentioned soft. Fan bases can be the alpha or the beta week to week based on what is said and uh, reading into things that probably don't mean all that much day to day. And if it was said about another fan base or another stadium or another team, it's all taken as... uh, quick conversation and move on. But you mentioned taking red meat and turning it into a, a, a tiny bit of red meat and turning it into a full meal. What's the latest example of this with a fan base? So the Tennessee Vols fan base, the, it is the epitome of the, they just want crumbs. They want scraps from the table <laughs> of criticism, of hate, of being slighted in any possible way. They want that at all times. Tiniest bit of red meat, you give it to them, They will make a meal out of it every single time. The latest bit of tiny bits of red meat that were fed to the Tennessee fan base and they're ready to feast on it (laughs) tomorrow at 3.30 Eastern time on CBS was this quote from Gary Danielson, who will be on the call for CBS. Keep in mind, this is Tennessee's first appearance in the CBS SEC game of the week tomorrow against Texas A&M. Speaking of the Knoxville News Sentinel, he says, and he begins with, this is not a criticism, just an observation. It has nothing to do with Neyland Stadium per se or any other stadium. Home field advantage is about the same every week, whether you're playing at Ole Miss or LSU or Florida in the Swamp or Georgia. For a football player, 
loud is loud. And he goes on to say, I don't know if it makes any difference if there's 80,000 loud people or 100,000 loud people. Now, I think most people would read that and say, okay, I kind of get where he's going with that. You reach a threshold of crowd noise, and in big college football games, you're going to get that. And then everything past that is just white noise, and it doesn't really matter. It doesn't affect the game any more than others. Tennessee fans read that, and they see it as a decree of war. <laughs> from CBS, from Gary Danielson, from the college football media establishment, everyone is now their enemy for this. Ask Chris Fowler about Tennessee's fans, Tennessee Good, fans and their ability to take something and run with it, not for just a short amount of time, for close to 30 years in some cases. They hold a grudge better than anyone else. Chris Fowler, after Peyton Manning did not win the Heisman Trophy in 97, came back in 98 during a college game day, and he said it was a trailer park frenzy that was stirred up when Charles Woodson won the Heisman over Tennessee fans. Tennessee fans still remember that to this day. They still harbor resentment towards ESPN to this day. That's a memorable quote. For Peyton Manning not winning the Heisman and also for that quote <laughs> from Chris Fowler, which to Tennessee fans confirm the inherent bias against Orange from ESPN and from everyone who voted on the Heisman or did not vote for Peyton Manning and instead voted for Charles Woodson. I love it. Is it, is it being overly bitter? Yeah. Is it having too much of a chip on the shoulder at times? Absolutely. Does it lead to really good college football environments in Knoxville? Yes. Now, it's going to get old because if Tennessee continues to win the way they did a year ago and they become a 10-win-a-season type yes. team, no one's going to want to hear about Tennessee fans being slighted or that media groups don't like them, especially when they're getting some of the most-watched games of the season in primetime slots. It is going to get very old very quickly. But for now, once again, Tennessee fans, they take a little bit of scraps from the table and they turn it into a feast. And they're going to feast tomorrow. And it's going to be a loud environment on national TV, on CBS, between A&M and Tennessee. I, I do understand what Danielson's saying. Loud is loud. Yeah. Um, now, the loudest environment, period, is different than the 10th loudest. If we're going by, you know, the Richter scale or wh whatever they're doing with the, uh, the how they measure the, the uh, vibrations from a stadium, right? But... Yeah, lumping uh, Ole Miss in with that, I think, is what would offend Tennessee fans more than anything. There you go. You know, the Swamp, LSU, Georgia, okay, get what you're saying. These Those are 90,000-plus the stadiums right around there, and Tennessee's 100,000. Ole Miss isn't anywhere close to that. No. And it's not going to get as loud. And I, I would say that you can go back through it. There are a lot of college football players who played in a lot of environments. Tim Tebow was talking about it in the documentary. Many of them will say it's never been louder than Neyland Stadium, that it's a different level of volume when Neyland Stadium really gets cranked up. So I understand Tennessee fans taking that as a bit of a slight, but they are going to overblow this whole thing before it's all said and done. It's not going to end for Gary Danielson. People, they're going to remember this quote for a while. Chad, we will remember this season for Sean Payton for a while. It's going to be a November to remember yeah. for Sean Payton. 198, uh, the Chiefs beat the Broncos last night on Thursday night football. Uh, the Broncos are dead last in yards and points allowed. And this is a Denver defense that allowed just 19 points uh, to the Kansas City Chiefs. However, this is a Broncos, uh, it's more than a bonfire. 
You know, it's, it's the dumpster fires of the week. We have that coming up later in the show. This is the dumpster fire of the football season thus far. They are off to their worst start through six games in nearly 30 years. And it's more than just Russell Wilson and what we saw last night where he's stumbling all over the field, fourth down, he's running backwards, losing yardage instead of throwing the football away. It's more than just a, a bad decision by Peyton to take over a Denver Broncos organization and franchise that he felt like coaching would have been the difference. Clearly not. This is a, a rebuild waiting to happen. And they go from what was supposed to be Peyton as the fixer for Wilson to is Sean Peyton now going to be coaching Caleb Williams or coaching one of the top quarterbacks in next year's NFL draft? Because at one win and looking down the path of where they're headed, they're in a mix of right now seven teams who have one win or no wins. One of those teams, Minnesota and the Vikings. Justin Jefferson's on injured reserve. Another loss. What happens to Minnesota come trade deadline? Ben Lieber joins the discussion next with some other NFL topics with him as well. Coming up on Hot Mike with Huddy Withrow. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Glad you're with us for Hot Mike with Huddy Withrow across the Outkick Network. Chad, right now, seven teams across the NFL have one win or are winless. And this Sunday, Vikings taking on the Bears, where the winner gets out of the NFC North cellar. Ben Lieber joins us. He's a Minnesota Vikings radio and TV analyst and uh, he's a frequent uh, guest of ours on the show, for which we appreciate. Ben, good to see you, man. Hope things are well. Always good to see you guys. Yeah, things are things are well. It's uh, it's rainy here in the Twin Cities, uh, so it's kind of a kind of a bad day. So it's good to be inside and be with you guys. Yeah, man. Uh, so uh, I don't know if it's good right now to be in the Minnesota uh, facility or not, but the rain kind of sums yeah. things up. Yeah, it does. Right now for it the does. Vikings. Um, so you got the Vikings Bears. Then they will uh, travel to San Francisco, and then they take on Green Bay. Those three matchups ahead of October thirty first and the NFL trade deadline. As of right now. Should we expect the Vikings to be sellers at the deadline? No, I, I don't think so. You know, this is a, this is a really good one win team. And look, I, I know that, um, you know, people that watched, uh, they can maybe say otherwise, but we have a really good offense. I think the defense is starting to come around as well. We're blitzing a little bit less, being a little more strategic about our blitzing we're getting home uh, with the quarterback pressures with more of a four-man rush, which wasn't the case early in the season. So, look, I, I don't think that I don't think that we're going to be sellers. I really don't even know if we're going to be sellers, even if we drop this game in Chicago, which I don't think that we're going to do. And the uh, the game against the the 49ers are actually at home at U.S. Bank Stadium. Thank goodness okay. on on Monday night. So even if you drop those two, I'm not so sure that you should be uh, complete sellers. Look, I know that there's there's always a price to everything, but uh, it's just it's just weird to even think about that right now, based on what we thought about this team at the start of the season. How much does Jefferson on injured reserve factor into that, though? Uh, knowing that when you, you look at his numbers and the targets and the fact he can totally dominate a game, Cousins is in the last year of his contract, not expected to be back based on the salaries they're going to give mm -hmm. elsewhere, and that they have already handed out to T.J. Hawkinson, for instance. 
What, what would motivate Minnesota to move on from Cousins if he were to say, hey, no trade clause, I'll waive that for said team? You know, I, I think the only thing that would motiv- motivate him to move on was if they internally say, look, Kirk, you're not in our long-term plans. Um, there are rumors that, and I don't know if, if they are like substantiated by any means, but I just recently heard that JJ said, look, I, I had a deal at the start of the season. It was going to reset the market. It's going to be the highest paid non-quarterback in the league. And he said, no, I need a commitment from you guys that Kirk's going to be my guy. That's the rumor. I don't know if it's true, but you have to think some of that makes sense for JJ. He knows who butters his bread. JJ, yes, he's he's fantastic, but he needs a smart quarterback that's accurate that can get the ball down the field uh, many times a game for him to be successful. So if there has to be more of an open dialogue between the two, a real honest dialogue between Quasey, the front office, and Kirk, if they say, look, you're not in a long-term plans, the way the season's going, we're going to look at quarterback in the draft or, or, or something cheaper in the offseason, then I think Kirk would waive his no-trade clause and uh, and move on to a better situation. Ben Lieber, our guest, uh, Minnesota Vikings TV and radio analyst. I, I, I'm intrigued by the whole decision going in, not necessarily the deadline, but just outlook because it, it, the comparison, it I could kind of tie this together. It's whenever Indianapolis lucked into Andrew Luck. You mm-hmm. know, they went from Manning to Luck. I, I mean, I'm, Cousins is no Peyton Manning, but he's been really good. Yeah. And here's a situation where you've got a great quarterback crop coming up in April, and you've got contracts across the roster that would lead me to believe you'd like to have a, a quarterback on a rookie contract uh, against the cap. They could be in a great spot, although it's not a great result season. No, and they, they could be in a good spot. Um, and that's the thing, man. I, I, I would understand personally if, if the Vikings go, you know, no team's going to just openly say, hey, we're, we're, we're tanking right. for, for Caleb or take, tanking for Drake May or something like that. Everybody would kind of get the picture if they do start moving some pieces like Daniil Hunter, uh, obviously, or Kirk or something like that. Or I don't know, maybe they move somebody off the offensive line, which I, I don't foresee happening. But that's the other thing. If the Vikings are to be sellers, I don't think they have a lot of pieces to sell. Um, but by doing so, you do sort of tip your hand and say, yeah, look, guys, we're we're going for draft picks here. I wouldn't be necessarily mad at that because you do have to you do have to sometimes bite the bullet on the short term, look at the long term health of the team and the organization. And if they really mean and they really think that the long term success lies in getting a young quarterback on a rookie deal, I don't think a lot of people will be mad at them. How much consolation is it in in it for Vikings fans that you look at the Bears and that franchise is literally on fire right now as you get ready to play yeah. them with everything going on? So if you're looking around the division, and this game is very important for that reason, to take care of business against Chicago, but how much of that does that offer some solace to the Vikings when you see the situation with the Bears? Well, not only that, I think I think you're right on all those fronts that that you look at the division and there's a rebuilding process going on with Chicago. And there seems to be this regression from the Green Bay Packers and Jordan Love as well from the start of the season that, you know, I, we all we all see what Detroit's doing. And, and it seems like they've got the recipe for success. They really believe in what they they want to build there. And they're doing a great job building that. So if if that team's just going to remain you know right now the favorite to win and these other two teams are struggling this sort of is maybe a good time 
to kind of retool your your team. And Kwesi's always said, we're looking to do a competitive rebuild. And, and so he's been telling everybody from the very get-go that we are going to rebuild this thing, but we're not going to do it just by laying down. And and last year, uh, you know, they had a lot of games that went their way. You know, this competitive rebuild, we kind of forgot about what that term even would would mean because we were successful. I think this is the year where they really start to look at that term and say, okay, this is what a competitive rebuild looks like. And maybe the timing is right, given that the two other teams in the division outside the Detroit Lions um, are, are sort of on a down, downhill slide as well. How would you describe what we've seen from rookie receiver Jordan Addison to this point with 19 receptions? And, and now that Jefferson's on injured reserve, we're about to find out the true mm-hmm. number one type status that he could become. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because we've seen flashes. He really flashed in training camp. You know, he hasn't gotten as many targets maybe uh, as as they probably wanted to. And and Kevin O'Connell said it even this week that this is this is the time where you know he made the joke about stepping on the gas, referring to his 140 mile an hour speeding ticket that he had. That um, yeah, this is the week. I think the Bears understand that that he's going to be featured a lot. And we'll see what he can really do as a true number two receiver. Potentially, does he have does he have it to be a true number one? He does lack a little bit of the height that I think Justin has. He doesn't have quite the range that JJ has. Um, but everybody from day one has applauded his his cerebral nature about how he understands how to run routes, how how defenses are going to play him, and how he plays off of leverage. And that was from day one. So now that he's had a bunch of months to put all that stuff under his belt, retool everything, learn a little bit more from, from JJ and, and Keenan McCardell, the, the wide receivers coach. I think he's got a lot of what it takes to be a number one. Now he's just got to go out and prove it. What do you, uh, what's been your, your take on Flores as defensive coordinator and the more aggressive approach that we've seen from Minnesota compared to what we've seen in past years? Well, I mean, we talk about the pendulum swinging from from sitting back on our heels and getting picked apart in, in sort of a cover two situation to now we are so aggressive that I think, you know, there are times where it sort of leaves our secondary hanging out to dry. I think that that is sort of coming back to the middle. We started the first three games of the season and we were blitz heavy. I mean, we were so blitz heavy, you know, not always bringing a full on six man rush, uh, leaving the guys man to man on the on, on the back end. But we're always trying to bring that fifth rusher. And I think getting Marcus Davenport back against the Carolina Panthers really allowed allowed Flores to sit back and, and think, I can be more strategic. I don't have to hang my secondary out to dry. I can just allow um, you know, more of a four-man rush. But it's going to be, it's going to be a convoluted four-man rush. That's the thing. He's still going to bring seven guys up to the line of scrimmage. You're going to see Harrison Smith come down to the line of scrimmage. You don't know if it's going to be a nickel blitz. It's going to be a strong safety blitz. The, he wants to he wants to build this idea that he's bringing pressure from all angles, but then in the end, drop some guys out and bring a four-man rush. Having Marcus Davenport in there changes absolutely everything. So as long as he can stay healthy, uh, I, really, I really like this attacking style of, uh, of Flores' defense. So Hutton mentioned Peyton Manning earlier. I'm going to mention Tom Brady now and, and saying I'm not comparing Kirk Cousins to Tom Brady, but I think you'll understand with this analogy. <laughs> Part of the problem with the Patriots and, and, and the getting rid of Tom Brady was that at the time, and we saw his last game in New England, he was skipping rocks. Uh, he was seeing ghosts in the pocket. He didn't look like Tom Brady. So the assumption was, well, he's going to go somewhere else. He's not going to have Bill Belichick, and he's not going to be Tom Brady, and the Patriots are going to look smart. Uh-oh. 
he goes to Tampa and wins a Super Bowl in year mm-hmm. one. I lay all this out to ask, what is Kirk Cousins if he's not the quarterback of the Vikings moving forward? Where is he in his career? If he had to start over in a new offense and go somewhere else, would the Vikings feel like they got burned because he goes somewhere and puts up huge numbers at another place? Or is this just simply the best situation at the best time for him to flourish? I think, you know, as, as well as Brock Purdy is playing, and he is, he is to me has solidified his spot there in San Francisco, that's about the only spot that I could see him going. I mean, I know that was, it, that's not a hot take here. I, I get that. Everybody's talking about Shanahan and his relationship from, from Washington in previous years. But it's that sort of system where he does have a solid running game. He, he has got a kick-ass offensive line that's going to push people around. They're going to protect him. He's going to get the ball out. And that defense is just as good as that, as that offense. I, I know that you're probably saying, well, a lot of quarterbacks can play in that system. I just think that Kirk is so smart. He's so accurate. The only thing that, that he needs is just a consistency at, at offensive line and, and a defense that is going to you know hold up and actually can play from a lead a little bit. Um, I do think the Vikings, the thing is, the Vikings are getting there. Um, I do think that we need to probably implement the run a little bit more. We need to get a little bit more downhill with, with Madison and Cam Akers, find a little bit more balance. Um, and, and obviously in a perfect world, having JJ around, look, I, I think that Kirk has what it takes to be a championship level quarterback. The last two years with the Minnesota Vikings, we've been successful, albeit without a very good defense. Our defense has sucked the last two years. So it has never, to me, been about Kirk Cousins, his play. Does Kirk Cousins have the leadership? Absolutely, he's got the leadership. Talk to any guy in the locker room, either in front of a camera or privately, and they say, like, dude, we love Kirk. I mean, he's he he's got what it takes. He gets this unnecessary criticism from the media because he's not always out there being boisterous and whatever. Um, you start to see that change a little bit last year with Kirk O'Chains and that whole, that whole situation. I think, to me, he, he has not brought a championship. Uh, to Minnesota yet because not because of the offense or his play, but because the defense uh, as a whole has not stepped up. Ben Lieber has been our guest, Minnesota Vikings analyst for TV and radio. Always great to catch up with you, man. Uh, hope things uh, continue to go well and uh, we'll catch up soon. Yeah. Thanks a lot, guys. Always a pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for the thanks, insight. Uh, the, no doubt that the Vikings still view themselves as a, as a wild card contender. Uh, I think Detroit, Chad, is, is one to, to run away with the NFC North a bit here. Uh, Green Bay is slow out of the gate in the first half. I, I like the Packers, don't love them. I like the way the Vikings are built, don't love the results in close games this year. And this is a must win, of course, against Chicago. And then they're hosting San Francisco next week. That, that's the tell of the tape on what happens on the 31st. Yeah, Vikings win the division last year by winning all of the close games. 11 of them. Now this year they're losing all the close games. It's still early enough to where that could flip and they start winning some nail biters and that gets them into the wild card picture. But it feels just like a complete reversal of fortunes where a year ago they were that team that found a way to win. And this year that's the opposite so far. So... I don't like their chances. They got to beat Chicago this weekend, obviously. Um, But I I don't know what the future holds. I hear this term competitive rebuild, and I don't don't know that that's really sustainable. It's tough to do. We'll see. But, I mean, I don't know how you do it without starting over at quarterback. 
at some point. They're, they're and going, going with a young quarterback, or, you know, drafting a rookie, especially with Justin Jefferson. And I get what Ben is saying about Justin Jefferson not wanting to rebuild. He doesn't want to start over and build up a rapport with a new quarterback. But that's a great sales pitch and selling point for that new quarterback where they could come in and be successful because why? They have Justin Jefferson to throw to if the Vikings end up drafting a QB. And then Addison and then Hawkinson and a solid offensive line. And I've said for months, like this is a – the contracts they're handing out, knowing that it's it's Cousins on the final year of his deal – you want to have the quarterback on a much lower salary with a, of course, a, a plethora of all of the traits that you want at the position for an offensive-minded head coach. I think we're going young at that spot next year for Minnesota, but, I mean, they could have a pretty high draft pick if things stay the way they are, which is just win one and then lose three, win one, lose three, and still competitively accomplish that. Tough to do in the league. The Vikings may be that team this year. Chad, coming up, time to be competitive in fantasy football. The best joins us next in Michael Fabiano. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer, Old Smoky Moonshine. Happy Friday to you. It has arrived. I'm Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network, joined by Michael Fabiano. He is the fantasy football expert, great analyst for Sports Illustrated, joins us weekly. Michael, great to see you, man. Hope things are well. All is well. A lot of injuries, though, going down this week. A lot to report on, especially today. Um, Running backs in particular are going to be hard to come by. This is this is a great example of why all those that say, why do you draft a running back so early? Why do you waste the first-round pick when the projected scores, I know you hate those, for the season are, are less than what the quarterback or receivers are going to do? And it's based on depth right now when no one is going to be willing to trade you a player that's going to be able to produce points for you. And I've been trying to make trades because uh, I'm deep at wide receiver because I went zero RB or hero RB in my drafts. But running backs are so hard to come by now that people want more than I want to give up. So, for example, I have a league where I've got injuries and I've got problems with buys. We've got a couple of teams off. I'm losing Aaron Jones this week and I haven't had him for the last few weeks. I have to start Dalvin Cook and I hate it, but I have no choice. And I tried to make a trade for even an Alexander Madison or, you know, a, a low yeah. RB2 type. And the teams all want a really good wide receiver in return, and I'm just not willing to do that. As far as Thursday night football is concerned, should we just make a rule that says if you've got, unless you have the top-tier elite talent, don't play them on Thursday night? Not many points in fantasy are coming out of Thursday night football for me. Yeah, Thursdays kind of stink. Um, we've had our issues with Thursdays for, for a long time now. And in the game last night, the Broncos had Corlin Sutton, who made that amazing catch, and, like, that was it. Their backfield was a three-headed monster, and it was a mess from a fantasy perspective. Russell was terrible statistically. And even, like, I know that you're not supposed to say anything bad about Patrick Mahomes, but he's averaging 19 points a game this year. Last year, he was closer to 25. I'm not getting what I drafted Patrick Mahomes in the second round for. I am looking – for elite production, 
And right now, Patrick Mahomes is not putting up elite numbers from a fantasy perspective. I'd hope, love to see the Chiefs get a wide receiver at the trade deadline, which goes down in a couple of weeks. Is, is Stroud the biggest producer right now at the position, and, and who's around him? No, Stroud has had three really good games and two kind of stinkers, uh, but he's been very good, and he's been way better than people projected. He hasn't thrown an interception so far this year, which is incredible for a rookie quarterback. He's more of a matchup-based guy. Like this week, they've got the Saints. It's not a great matchup, so I don't know that I'd particularly play him. Really, the elite guys remain Mahomes, although his numbers have not been elite. Jalen Hurts has been very good. Obviously, Josh Allen has been a stud as well. Uh, Those are still like the three top guys, although Justin Herbert is in that mix now too. He's been very good uh, under Kellen Moore. So Jan in the YouTube chat has a question for you. Wants to know about Jordan Addison now that Justin Jefferson is out. Is that worthy of elevation given more opportunities now that Jefferson's not going to have those opportunities? No question. Uh, Jordan Addison is a wide receiver two this week. He's a wide receiver two until further notice, and maybe he becomes a wide receiver one. We'll see. The Bears defense, not good against perimeter receivers, so Addison's a really good play this week. He's not JJ. He's not going to replace those type of numbers, but can I get a floor of 12 to 14 from Addison while Jefferson's out? I think that's probably a pretty good projection. So uh, every week I'm going to have a question about my own fantasy team also. And uh, this week's predicament, (laughs) Michael, was that I went into Monday Night Football with Jordan Love and Devontae Adams left to play. And I think I was down like 13 points going into it. I'm thinking, this will be over by halftime. I'll have that easy. Three picks later, Mm -hmm. no targets for Devontae Adams or not many to speak of later. I think I lost by 1.4 points on the night when it was all said and done. Uh, but here's my question with that. That was my complaint. Now my question is, should I be worried about Devontae Adams and what the Raiders were doing with him Monday night? It's as if they forgot that he was available to play in the game when he was questionable all week and ended up playing. I don't know that I'd be worried about him. I think he's – with Aaron Rodgers no longer his quarterback or Derek Carr, who he had a really good rapport with because they played at Fresno State together – He's going to have some down weeks with Garoppolo, especially if Garoppolo gets hurt. And Garoppolo's already missed a game you know, when they had to start Eden O'Connell. So I, I, and he was a player that, not that I was super concerned about him, but like Devontae was not going to be like a top three fantasy wide receiver this season. Uh, I thought he'd be certainly top 10, maybe top 12 at the worst, but there are going to be some down weeks. The good news is that um, he's got the Patriots this week. So there's a little familiarity there uh, with Jimmy Garoppolo, Josh McDaniel. I think he'll bounce back. Jacoby Myers, this is a good uh, revenge game. And and speaking of Myers, he's actually been really good this year. Like, you know, we think about Devontae as the elite wide receiver, and he is. But Jacoby Myers has been pretty darn good when he's played. You know, he he missed a game because of concussion. But he's been overall very solid from a fantasy perspective. Uh, I would start him certainly this week against New England and Devontae Adams. I mean, he'd have to really go into, he'd have to really go into a, a statistical spiral downward to, uh, to really even consider ever benching him. Unfortunately, sometimes even the elite guys have an off night. Michael Fabiano, our guest, the uh, fantasy football expert and analyst for sports illustrated time for Fabs five stardom and sit And we start at quarterback in your starts this week, Matthew Stafford taking on the Cardinals. You like the matchup for the Rams. He has got all of his weapons now. Cooper Cup came back and looked like Cooper Cup. He's got Puka Nakua, Kyron Williams. This is a good matchup against the Cardinals. 
Uh, they've given up 21 plus points to three quarterbacks this season, including Daniel Jones, who's on the waiver wire now in a lot of leagues. I mean, people don't even want to roster him at this point. And by the way, he's not playing this week. It'll be Tyrod Taylor in a revenge game against the Bills, uh, which means start the Bills defense. Uh, speaking of the Bills, James Cook, really good play this week. Uh, you've got to like him against the Giants. The Giants are a mess right now, guys. They're an absolute disaster. And Cook wasn't really good last week. Uh, I think you forgive and forget. He'll be fine this week against the G-Men. Uh, Raheem Mostert will play without Devon Achan. That's good news for Mostert. And they're playing the Panthers, who have given up the second most points to running backs. So Mostert's a must-start. Uh, I like DeAndre Swift this week. I like Jordan Addison as well. Jordan Addison's got a really good matchup against the Bears, as we just talked about. And then Michael Pittman Jr. Michael Pittman Jr. had 10 points last week. I was somewhat disappointed in the production. But look at the matchup he's got this week against Jacksonville. He has scored over 20 points in each of his last three games against them. And even though Gardner Minshew is the quarterback in Indianapolis, I am not concerned about Pittman. Uh, I'm going to continue to start him. Minshew's interesting. I'm, I'm down to Gardner Minshew starting in one of my leagues. That's how bad it was. I had Rodgers. Then I had Richardson. Now I'm lucky enough to get Minshew based on the, the depth that's on the waiver wire currently. Um, and the way that they run the football... I would like to load up on both running backs at Indy as well because they run a ton whenever Minshew's in the lineup. I, I would love to see Jonathan Taylor start getting I, the majority of the work, but Zach Moss is making it really hard for Shane Steichen to take him out of the lineup. He was great last week, and the Titans have a really good run defense, but Moss was dominant, uh, and Jonathan Taylor was a secondary player. Now, you don't pay a guy 40 something million dollars as a running back to be a secondary player at some point soon. Maybe it's this week. Maybe it's the week after he will be the featured back for the Colts. But right now that backfield is really hard to project because Moss has been so good, but I would expect that the touches would be closer to 50, 50, maybe even a 60, 40 uh, share favoring JT this week uh, in a matchup against Jacksonville. Chad, where are we starting on Fabs five for the uh, sitting this week on the bench? Uh, hopefully my entire team, the way they performed so far this season. But you've got better ideas than me, Michael. Who are you going with to sit this week? I'm sitting Jared Goff. Like, Jared Goff is – do you guys remember when Ben Roethlisberger for a time in Pittsburgh, when he was playing at home, he was a must-start on the road. He wasn't very good. That's Goff now. Jared Goff in road games dating back to last year, eight touchdowns, and he's averaging 11.7 points. Like, it's just a weird trend, but – it holds water, and every week it seems to come up. So I'm going to bench Jared Goff this week. Brian Robinson is a stardom in prey, I guess you could say, against Atlanta. They've given up the fewest fantasy points to running backs, but running backs are so hard to come by, especially guys who are getting volume. You probably have to play them. Rashad White, same kind of thing. He's getting volume. He's just not producing. And the Lions' defense have allowed one running back to score more than 10 points against them. Their defense has been really good against the run. At wide receiver, we've got two big names. And I know most people got to play him, so temper your expectations. Debo Samuels had three targets in the last two games combined. And the Browns have given up one touchdown and the fewest fantasy points to receivers. Their defense is really good, and they're at home this week. And the defense is going to have to step up because they don't have Deshaun Watson, and they don't have, of course, Nick Chubb. And then Tyler Lockett's had one good game this year. Every other game's been in single digits. The Bengals are tough at home against wide receivers. I think if Lockett scores this week, it'll be out of the slot. But this is a player who goes back and forth from the slot to the uh, to the perimeter. And the Bengals are tougher against perimeter receivers. I would beware Tyler Lockett this week. There are some other wide receivers too, big names, 
like Amari Cooper against the Niners or Terry McLaurin against Atlanta who are hard to sit, but boy, the matchups are not good. So we have a viewer submission for you, Michael. Uh, Deontay Foreman at running back or Amari DiMarcado in Arizona to start this week? Here's the thing. Right now, since we haven't gotten the Cardinals injury report for Friday because they're on the West Coast, I don't know who's going to start in Arizona. It could be Keontae Ingram. If Keontae Ingram practices today and he plays on Sunday, he'll start, which will leave DiMarcado as a secondary option. So right now, I'm going Foreman because all the Bears running backs are hurt. Uh, Khalil Herbert's not going to play. Travis Homer's not going to play. Roshan Johnson's not going to play. So right now, it's Foreman. But we've got to wait and see what the Cardinals report is for Friday. And if Ingram was actually able to play, he might be the better option. But right now, it's Foreman. I know you said temper expectations earlier on the receivers you're sitting, including Lockett. Should I have expectations through the roof for C.D. Lamb after he's questioning the Cowboys' offensive identity and wanting more targets? Because, I mean, typically whenever receivers say they're always open, they tend to get the football. You mentioned J.J. in Minnesota. We've discussed that. Of course, uh, with what we saw this past week with Cincinnati, uh, is C.D. Lamb next up? Squeaky wheel, man. Gets the oil, right? Gets the grease, whatever you want to say. Uh, the, the Cowboys offense better be better this week or they're going to get crushed in the media. And every Cowboys fan, including this one, is going to bore, be even more disappointed than he or she already is. Let's put it that way. I think CeeDee Lamb has a big game. I think the Cowboys win the game. Uh, my buddy Austin Eckler is going to be back this week. And I texted him over the, the course of the week. And I said, dude, why do you have to come back against the Cowboys? Can't you sit out another week? Like, no, um, but he's coming back. And I think he'll have a big game. High-scoring game. Keep in mind, Kellen Moore knows the Cowboys' offense tendencies and the defensive tendencies because he was the OC there for the last several years. But this is going to be a high-scoring game. I think CeeDee Lamb has a big game this week. Again, when the wide receiver position, and we've seen some divas, and and CeeDee is not a diva at all, but when they come out and talk about getting the football or not getting it, typically that week, the offensive coordinator, or in this case, Mike McCarthy, uh, makes sure he gets him the football. So uh, I feel good about CeeDee Lamb. Final thing for you, other than Kelsey, uh, among, among the uh, Kansas City receivers, in the leagues that you're in, and it's a, it's a handful, how, how many Kansas City receivers do you actually have on your rosters? I think I have Rasheed Rice in one league. I, Isn't that crazy? I don't want him. It's crazy. I, have, I had Kadarius Toney in a couple of leagues. I caught him. I mean, even though he scored a touchdown last night, didn't do anything else. Uh, he, yeah. He's not involved. The Chiefs, and I said this in the preseason on my show, Fantasy Dirt, over at SiriusXM, they're not going to the Super Bowl this year. They're not. Uh, it's hard to go back to back. And when and I know people will say, well, they they didn't have a good receiver last year. Juju was there last year, not great, better than what they have now. Uh, and they had Nicole Hardman, who got hurt, and Hardman was putting up some pretty decent totals before mm-hmm. he ended up going down. But I, I just feel like with Kelsey, thirty four years old, and he's still great. But we saw him hurt his knee. Now he's got the ankle. Yeah, are we starting to see some some cracks in the armor for Travis Kelsey? He's dating Taylor Swift, <laughs> although that's, you know, to his credit, good for him. Yeah. I, I, I don't know that the Chiefs offense is as good as it's been in recent years. And I'd love that. I wanted them to sign DeAndre Hopkins in the in the offseason. And I really hope they go out and trade for a wide receiver. Uh, I guess it won't be Jerry Judy based on what Steve no. Smith said about him last doesn't, night. Doesn't sound like yeah, you're right. Hey, Michael Fabiano, the best. Uh, check him out on SiriusXM, also at SI. Thank you so much. We enjoy this each and every week. Thanks. Good luck, guys.
same to you. Michael Fabiano, our fantasy Always football insider advice. from SI. That's Take right. his advice every time. Coming up, Philly back to the NLCS and uh, a big college star returning tonight across the gridiron. That's next on Hot Mike.